Well, welcome everybody back to the podcast. Today we're on with Professor Megan Sweeney, the Cooney Family Director of Pulse Program for Service Learning. Megan, thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah. the opportunity. Yeah, we're very excited. And um, to start, we would just love for you to tell us your story, how you got to BC, some work that you've done, and then the work that you do now here. I started at BC in 2006. Um, the Pulse program was hiring for two, well, for a, um, a uh, non-tenure line professor in the theology department. And I applied for the job eventually. I was finishing my PhD at Emory in religion. I was not interested in the job at first because it was a non-tenure line position. Mm -hmm. But as I read the job description, over and over again, I found myself gravitating toward it because it combined my own academic interests as well as my uh, some of my experience working in nonprofits mm. and doing campus ministry. And I thought, actually, this job might be just the right job for me. Mm. So I have been in the program since 2006. And in 2014, I became the director of Pulse. Mm. So I just finished up 16 years at BC wow, and the whole time it's been in the Pulse program. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so my understanding is you have an MDiv, right? Yep. And a PhD. Yeah. And so you had said that Pulse kind of fell in line with some of your research interests or just your interests in general. Yeah. Will you talk a little bit about that PhD, MDiv, how that applies to Pulse today? Yeah, I saw in the in the Pulse job a real opportunity to work with undergraduates and their own sort of intellectual and spiritual growth and the language we're using now is formation. And mm. I thought these are the things I'm interested in. These are the things I've always been interested in. And I might actually be able to bring these things together in this job. Uh, so that's that was really a big, huge part of what was attractive to me about it. Nice. So that undergrad piece was really the, the main thing. I'm curious, like what is it about undergrads that excites you? Oh, I think undergrads are awesome because it's just this, um, even non-traditional age undergrads, but we're thinking about BC, thinking 18 to 22, the questions that come up about self and identity and um, who you want to be, how you want to be, what matters to you, what doesn't matter to you, who your friends are, you're working through all of this stuff. I just mm -hmm. think it's a really neat time in someone's life and a really important time in someone's life in which even if... They go into a career completely different from whatever they've majored in. Some really significant foundation blocks are set in terms of thinking about self and critical questions of reflection and things like that. So it's just a really neat time to for to work with students. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. cool. <laughs> it's such a the word for me is like blessing, like being yeah. a yes. student as yes. an undergrad too. Um, I didn't take Pulse, but Pulse was always that um, class course that I had heard about. And I was a tour guide at BC, so I always talked about it yeah. and gave examples of people that did. Um, but what a blessing to be able to have these conversations from your end, but also like as a student too, to be asked such profound questions to really figure out like who you are and, and you know, sometimes answering Father Heim's three yes. questions kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the trajectory that that takes you where a student might come to BC for one reason, then be here and stay here and then leave for a totally different That's reason. Right. That's right. That's cool. Yeah, it is cool. <laughs> um, and I think while we're sort of on the topic of BC and you've obviously been here for a while now, yeah. um, 
as you know, our podcast this season is really focused on this idea of community, Mm -hmm. uh, what that means, how do we conserve, um, contribute to, and connect with our community. So I'm curious for you, what is your personal definition of community and how did you come to know that definition? That's a great question. I think for me, community is a group of people. It could be a small group of people. It could be a really large group of people who have shared interests, goals, and who work together to accomplish certain shared goals, or at least operate out of a shared sense of identity or purpose. I think it's a really loose word. Mm. I think it can take on really different um, meanings. You can have small communities, you can have institutional communities. So there are lots of different ways that people can be part of community or communities. And they're not mutually exclusive. People can be part of multiple communities at once, I think. Mm. We had Reverend James Harrison yeah. on the podcast. He talked to us about resilience. And that was actually a really big takeaway for me of something that he kind of talked about too, of like, if you think about the individual person and just the diversity present there, whether it's different identities that they hold, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, people will gravitate towards different communities. And like, he was, it was so beautiful. He was like, that's okay. And like, sometimes you can't find everything you need from one community. Mm-hmm. You might need to go and explore different communities and have your feet in a bunch of different ones. Absolutely. And different identities. Uh, need support in different ways no yeah. doubt about it yeah. so that's it is important and also sort of as we're talking about these differing communities that people can be a part of I was really interested by what you said about there's this idea of a shared goal a shared vision this idea of, of sharing um, can you talk a little bit more about that idea of, of a shared goal vision within one community um, and how that might interact with being a part of different communities at the same time? So um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a shared like end goal. The goal could be the process itself. Mm. So you create a community of your your classmates and at grad school, your colleagues who may not be studying the same thing you are, but you realize it's important to have shared support for one another. And so you create a kind of colleague community that they're not necessarily your best friends, Mm -hmm. but you're there to help each other. And you have this common experience that will, will support you. And then when you graduate, that community ends and that's also okay. The communities do either end themselves or people can move in and out of communities at various points in their life, depending on what their particular needs are. So it, it isn't always like the most obvious shared goal uh, it can be commitment to a kind of a process or or patterns or practices or acts. They're community running community running groups. Mm. These people who yeah. run may have nothing in common with each other except that they love to run. And the value of a community like that is you create mechanisms of sociability and accountability so that you can do the thing that you want to do that you wouldn't be able to do on your own without those other people there to help you. So in some ways, communities also help each other, help people be be and become who they might want to be. Yeah. And and I love this, the focus on process, because I think the shift, um, like I think of content and process 
And I think a shift for me that was very powerful going through social work and even theology school was that emphasis on process. So like, I remember sitting in one of my like basics clinical classes and realizing this professor talking like, you're not gonna provide answers to people. You're not gonna provide like content necessarily, but you're gonna promise a process to them that you'll be able to work through something with them. Mm -hmm. And then I've been reading a lot of Richard Rohr lately. Are you familiar with him? Here, so so he talks about faith kind of like as a process too of like rather than a what do you believe in, but like a how you believe in kind of thing. And so thinking about like community is content or process more important than the other, or is there this like working together sort of thing? <laughs> well, <laughs> one of the things I like to say with the students on the Pulse Council is the process is the product. Mm. So community is not some instant friend group. Community is the byproduct. And I don't like the word product. I wanna find better language. But that feeling of community is the product of having invested time and energy and attention into mm. a group of people or a program or whatever it is that that feeling of community and that sense of belonging or support happens because of what you have put into it. Yeah. And it, it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not a quick thing. Mm. Real community is not a quick thing. It takes a long time sometimes. Yeah. And long for an undergrad might be three months for someone who's older, it could be three years. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested also in, in what you, you mentioned earlier about the, um, I wrote transient in my notes here, but I don't think that's exactly right. But like moving through communities mm -hmm. where you're talking about, um, you know, being in an undergrad class and that class ends and that that's okay. And that's a part of maybe the process um, as we go through life and we're finding new communities. And it made me think about, this idea of formational, the formational aspect of an undergraduate institution. Um, and so I'm curious how you see the connection between moving through or the ending of community and a sort of formational environment like a college campus. So I'm thinking about something like BC, we have all these orientations happening this summer. Mm. Students come here, they become part of the BC community but that feeling of belonging happens through the effort that they as individual students will put into their friend groups, their classes, their relationships with their professors. Mm. So there is, a, maybe it's, we might wanna call it the potential for community mm. is there. People need to give themselves to the process mm. in order for that feeling of community to emerge. And it's hard for undergrads. Um, it takes, it can take a long time to find your space and your place and your people and that. But at the same time, none of that would happen without all the institutional dimensions that support that individual individual flourishing. Yeah. I mean, your definition is so powerful and also I think so difficult at the same time because I think when we first posed this question, it was like, okay, Megan's gonna give us this great like content definition of like, this is exactly what it is, but um, but you're not. And like, there's so much investment involved and work of each member of the community that I think um, adds such nuance and like complexity to community that might, when we talk about the BC community, that just seems like a group of people who are just living on this campus, but it's engagement, it's involvement, it's investment to like another level, right? 
And that that can be 95% of it could just be showing up mm. at something, whether uh, you go see your friend in showdown, I don't know, or <laughs> but there would be no showdown if there weren't people who went to see showdown. Right. Yeah. Um, so the the part of education is you're not just there for yourself, but you're there for other people too. Yeah. And it's really demoralizing, right? If you go, I don't know, if you were to like do a performance of some kind and no one shows up, I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. So it's sort of like community is also about committing to showing up mm. when the time, when it's, when it is needful. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and yeah. knowing that sometimes when you can't show up, that's okay because you know that other people will show up. Mm. So it's a sense of obligation, but also like I can, I can bow out if I need to. Yeah, yeah. I I am just I love this idea of like the approaching communities in a really non-judgmental way, like understanding it's okay if I can't show up. Like it's okay if this community ends. Um, and I love that. And I, I feel you've given us such a like wonderfully complex and beautiful definition. And I'm curious if there are communities that you can think back to in your life that have been particularly important um, that helped you clarify that definition. I uh, Institutional communities have been really important in my life. So church was really important. School was really important. I'm more much more introverted than I am. So I like my quiet time and my alone time, but I don't dislike people. Mm. And so the thing about community with, and, and, you know, that's going to be, that's question number nine. <laughs> but the thing about community is it's, it's an investment or I hate that word. It's a commitment of self to mm. others, but it doesn't necessarily have to become um, inordinately intimate. Mm. And that I think is one of the real benefits of community is you, are in spaces and places where you might be known or you decide you want to be better known, you commit to it. Uh, but at the same time, you don't have to overshare mm. and you can maintain certain boundaries. So, and, the, and those communities can be held, like I was saying, small groups or institutions, schools, faith communities. Um, so for me, institutional communities were, were very important for me growing up. Um, and I think, part of my own understanding of communities because of institutional communities. So if you go to a new city, you might not know anyone, but if you're, if you're a student, you know how to be a student in a yeah. university. If you're a member of a faith community, hopefully you find a version of the, your faith community in a new, in a new city. Um, so something that sort of holds you, even though it's foreign and different. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm taking it all in and I'm thinking because I think it just keeps getting more and more complex here. So, so the way you speak about community then, like, okay, so I, originally I was thinking, okay, so we have this BC community here, right? And then, and you say you don't like the word invest. So I'm trying know, to stay away from it's my, it. It's my, my language issue as well. The commitment of self, yeah. like somebody can still feel part of the BC community without maybe committing their whole self or like giving everything they have. They can give what they want to it. And you would say that they're still part of that. Yeah, community. sure. And maybe sometimes you, you can be part of a community by not giving more than you ought. Mm. Oh. 
to give, uh, you give of yourself in a way that feels sustainable um, because notion of community is also, I would say it's not a short, I mean, it is and it isn't short term, but I think there's some dimension of longevity to it. And you don't want to overcommit too quickly because then it just ends up like it's a, you know, you beat someone and you want to marry them the next day. And that just, you know, usually doesn't work out, that kind of yeah, thing. That's pretty fast. We better just like yeah, create yeah. some distance, take it slow. You said, oh, Tucker, did you have like a epiphany here? Well, I, I, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about ever since we started talking about community as our, you know, sort of theme for, for these episodes, um, and we talked about this last time too, but this idea of uh, the individual and the community and how one cannot exist without the other. And I think what you're talking about of you need to be able to, or, or setting boundaries and saying, hey, I can only invest, you know, this much um, into this community. That's an individual choice. And it, it sounds like you're saying it's such an important piece of a community as well, like being able to, to, to be, aware of yourself, in tune with yourself, um, and have the courage to express that um, allows a community to thrive. Is that kind of maybe a little bit? Yeah, no, I, I like that. And to, uh, to also, I mean, a community, again, depending on the size and the type, um, will have differing um, norms of behavior. Mm and knowing what is appropriate and what is not appropriate, how to give your best to a community and how not to infect a community with some of your worst is, mm. is, really, is really important um, to know how to do, theoretically. So I think I, the last thing that I'm stuck with in it, and I don't like my question, but I'm gonna ask anyway, like <laughs> I'm still like, but is there a minimum that people need to give to be part of community or is there just like give what you can and you're still like part of us? Well, I mean, I think that's a really interesting question. I don't, there, there have to be carriers of community. Mm. Um, community will not survive if people do not commit to the community. Um, and Yes, in terms of like the real world, sometimes financial resources are an important part of commitment, but it's also about people showing up when the community gathers for the community to actually be a community. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, you gotta be there. You gotta be there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the idea is we're not limit, humans are not limitless in our attention span. We're not limitless in our abilities to commit ourselves and our hearts and our minds. And so I think it's important to decide what is important to you and then to commit yourself to those things or those people. Because if a community is functioning well, you as a human grow. So it's mutually, mm -hmm. it's totally mutually beneficial. Yeah. yeah. I, we want to ask you about pulse. Yeah, um, sure. But I think also my mind is thinking about your example of church yeah. and being an Episcopal priest. <laughs> yeah. My, so I'm Catholic, my experience of church <laughs> is, you know, going, of course, going to mass on Sundays, but there was also this um, idea of a creaster, which was someone who only went to church on Christmas and uh, Easter. Okay. 
And we, we call them CEO <laughs> capitalists, Christmas <laughs> Easter <laughs> only. Yeah. And so there, so I'm thinking of people yeah. like Christers mm-hmm. or C, what was it? CEO. CEO, like, I think that there was this idea of like, they are not like exclusion. They're not allowed to be part of our community because mm-hmm. they only go to mass these amount of times and we go every single weekend. Mm-hmm. Will you talk about that in terms of your experience in church and then even as a pastor yeah. of a church? No, I think I think I appreciate the question because it's there are practical dimensions to it. There are theological dimensions to it. There are questions of like Christian hospitality. Mm. I think... From a from the perspective of thinking about building community, whenever the, a religious, whenever a Christian community is gathered, um, I hopefully, ideally, they're welcoming of whoever comes in their doors. There would be no people coming in the doors if there was no <laughs> community. Sure, and um, part of part of um, Christian community is to gather together to um, listen and learn and, and participate in certain ritual practices that serve as a, I mean, they serve as prayer relationship between human and God, but they also have a formative purpose, right? To sort of reinscribe through story and through action, certain um, messages, key themes, um, and so there's a sense that community should be wide, wide open. Mm. Absolutely. And you, and the idea is that you never know, someone might come once a year and then one time they come and something in their minds or their hearts just cracks wide open mm. and they hear or see something in a way they hadn't before. And had, had this gathered community not been there, that might not have happened. Yeah. The practical side is, if you baptize a child and the family doesn't come back, it's, it's, it can be a sadness, right? And there's a sense that we're here for you. Now we need you to be here for us. Mm, yeah. And so it's, and it, there's, so on the, on the one hand, there's always a desire to be welcoming and generous and hospitable. But on the other hand, there's a side that says, but we need you to stay. Mm. Because we can't be community, we can't be, we will not be able to remain a community unless you stay. Okay. And if this is something you value, then please stay. It sounds very desperate, but it's sort of like, if this is something that is of value to you, will you then commit to being part of this community? Yeah. It's, I hear like, I don't know, like yearning, but also like imploring too, which sound like it's like different than desperate because it's like a like, like we want you here yeah. too at the same time, yeah. you know? But it also makes me think of this idea of the, the carriers of community. And it sounds like in that example, there's, you know, like church is that carrier of community. And there's also that need for um, someone else to come in and, and help make that community thrive. Mm-hmm. And, and one can only carry it too far before it gets exhausting for them. That's and, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would love to start talking a little bit about Pulse. I feel like we've, we've been talking a little bit about it. Um, but would you be able to tell us about Pulse in your own words? Like, what is it and how it came to be? Sure. So Pulse in its current form is an academic service learning program um, housed in the philosophy and theology departments. 
We're best known for our core level course, Person and Social Responsibility, which is the year long 12 credit philosophy, theology core satisfying course in which students are in class four hours a week and at community service placements about 12 hours a week, including their travel. Uh, the material is focused on questions of human flourishing, on questions of community, <laughs> on what it means to be a human being and what it means to be a responsible human being, what, what is justice? So lots of sort of big questions. And the hope is that through the combination of what students are reading in class and what they're experiencing with their community partners, they'll come to a deeper understanding of some of these questions. Mm as it pertains to the world out there, but also for their own lives and sort of um, thinking about their own values, who they want to become, that kind of thing. From the list of courses, well, first of all, you said person and social responsibility, everybody starts off with that one. Yeah, I mean, that's the one that most students will take. We do offer some one semester long elective courses, uh, but it's the core course that people probably think of when they think of Pulse. Yeah. And we started in 1970 to answer that uh, part of the question yeah. oh yeah so you just celebrated 50 years well we were gonna have a huge 50th in march of 2020 and guess oh, what happened sad. so we just had a 52nd we just had oh, a full nice. 52nd <laughs> a modified version of what would have happened and it was a lovely event yeah. and it was um a celebration of pulse and of pulse's founder professor patrick Byrne, who mm. uh, just retired from the philosophy department so well yeah congrats yeah, to him and to Pulse, yeah. yeah. So the way that we had read, and we wrote down some of other classes that you had, culture and social structure. Yep. Um, philosophy and theology of community. Yep. Are students taking these in a certain succession? Because the way I read them was like, they're going on this mini journey kind of thing. They start with person and social responsibility and they there's like this track they go on. Right, so person and social responsibility is the core level course that any first, second or third year student at BC can take. Culture and social structures and philosophy and theology of community are electives that I offer to students on the Pulse Council only. So we do, the other electives we do offer are Telling Truths 1 and 2, and those are open to everybody. Mm. And um, uh, Values and Social Services and Healthcare is another one. Boston colon and Urban Analysis is another one. And then uh, uh, on and off again, a couple of courses, one on immigration and one on mass incarceration. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, they are. What are some? I don't teach. I don't, don't teach. teach I don't teach those. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the classes that you teach, as well as the classes that you yeah. don't, they all sound amazing. What is the hope that you have that students will take away from these classes? At least, it, you know, at least person and social responsibility. I think. I mean, there are lots of hopes for takeaways. I think one of the one of the things I joke about is that at the end of a school year. You know, if you were to ask a, a Pulse alum five years after the fact what they remember about what they read, they mm -hmm. might not remember anything, <laughs> but they'll remember where they served. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of our biggest hopes is that whatever they learned through their service and the learning happens in concert with what they're reading in class mm -hmm. is that they keep with them the people they've met and what they have learned so that when they go off and do whatever it is they're going to do, they remember that there are people who are suffering in this world mm -hmm. and that our students 
can do something about that through their personal decisions, through their career decisions, et cetera. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was like, our students can do something. Um, yeah, I love that, that it seems to be that there's kind of a call to action. And we'll talk about this, yep. you know, in a little bit as well, but there, there's hopefully it's sort of an, a next step that students can take after they, mm-hmm. they go, they go from Pulse. I mean, I think fatalism, this idea that nothing can change is mm-hmm. just, it's a spiritual disease. And I hope one of the things I hope is that students can see through the example of the of the community partner agencies, through their supervisors, that people can and do work for change all the time mm-hmm. to make things better and that it is possible to, to ease the suffering of some of people in this world. Yeah. We have some questions about that service learning component. Sure. Um, and also my understanding is there's the class, you're in the classroom, you're discussing things, they're sharing stories about their placement too. Mm-hmm. So kind of like drawing on our definition of community, how do you how do you cultivate community in your classroom? What process or whatever it might be do you alter that offer that asks people to stay in the class and yeah. engage? That's a great question. Uh, I think community building is for me and I think for most, if not all Pulse professors, really important because there's a sense that students will learn more when they're, they feel like they can engage with each other. Mm. Um, I do, you know, it's, 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 it's aw- so awkward in the beginning of the school year, <laughs> but it's a lot of like icebreaker questions mm. and a lot of think share pairs and then group work over the small group work, like mm. three person group work over the course of the year and it works. Yeah. I mean, it's, it does. We have the advantage in Pulse and the Pulse score of being a year-long course. Yeah. And so by the time second semester rolls around, students know one another. When they know one another, they're freer with each other. And they, I think their learning can increase in that way. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of awkwardness in the beginning, um, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. And when you started teaching in the Pulse program, did you... It sounds like you and a lot of the other professors are, are sort of on the same page about that as well. Um, how did you come to like learn what the best, you know, ways to cultivate that community was? So, all right, this is really interesting. So <laughs> I started in 2006 and in 2006, maybe two or three students in the class would have a flip phone. Fast forward like four years, everyone has a cell phone. Mm-hmm. A smartphone rather, not even a flip phone. We have moved full on to smartphones. (laughs) And one day I noticed this, things were just not going particularly well. And I realized I showed up for class particularly early one day and realized they ever, all the students were on their phones. Mm. And so in the first two or three years before and after class, it was all the chit chat that would happen. So all of the sort of informal ways that students were getting to know one another the, the, it wasn't there because they were on their phones. It's sort mm-hmm. of like, all right, if you think about a brick wall, your bricks can be brilliant, but you still need the mortar. Mm-hmm. And so it's the mortar that really solidifies the wall and the, the mortar was missing. Mm-hmm. And so part of community building is to create the mortar that enables the, the sort of brick wall that is learning impulse. And so I started to become more attentive to that. Mm. Do you take phones away now? <laughs> I don't take phones away. And uh, I try to limit devices um, mm. because they're distracting. They're yeah. distracting yeah. to the student. And they're also, uh, research says they're distracting to all the students around them too. Absolutely. 
we're trying to start an initiative with dining services where students, and it's not fully thought mm-hmm. through, but where students can kind of like drop their phone off at a cubby before going into a dining hall as a way to promote conversation so that they don't have that thing where they're on their phone while they're eating. The nice. Whole time. That's awesome. We'll see if it works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I, I think of classes that I've been in where people will immediately be on phones or like avoiding the awkwardness of the first conversation, yeah. but it's like, how do you help people embrace the awkward Mm -hmm. in a way and like know that that's a part of building community before the class even begins? Yeah. I mean, I'm guilty of this too. And I, and I just keep thinking back to this, like uh, that non-judgmental approach to community that we were talking about in the beginning where um, yes. Okay. Maybe it's a little bit awkward to, you know, keep the phone away and you're talking to your neighbor about their weekend or whatever. Like, sure. If you don't really know the person that can be a little bit awkward, but if we're sort of leaning into this definition of community as a non-judgmental place where, you know, you can um, move through community, you can, you know, the communities will end and that's okay. And uh, approaching those conversations, the, the mortar, Um, with that non-judgmental lens as well and think you know what whatever it might be a little bit awkward Mm -hmm. but that's okay we're all here in this shared space and that's a beautiful thing (laughs) yeah so thinking about the service learning component when we talk about community in center for student wellness we have these four mini key messages or catchphrases and they're contributing to community caring for community conserving and then connecting with that community. So wondering how do you see that service learning component influencing student formation and then how they learn to learn about these four C's that we talk about and integrate them into their experience of community here at BC in the classroom and then even when they leave. Um, All right so I'm thinking about our students engagement with um, their community partners and many students at who take pulse did some kind of community service in high school. It's, it's a rarity, I think now when they haven't had some exposure, but I would say that for many of them, unless they were part of a a civics group, like scouts or something Mm -hmm. like that, or maybe a church or faith group based um, service program might not have had any sustained relationship uh, with with service, um, so I th- I think uh, this is a hard question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the community partners. We try to have students at community partners where they're going to be able to do, and it was hard during COVID. We had to change some things, but under more normal circumstances. We try to have community partners where students are plugged into whatever the mission or the work of the agency is. Mm. And so in that way, they become agents Mm. in that organization who play important roles and they might begin to be aware that that agency existed before they showed up Mm. and it will continue to exist after they leave And sometimes students have a really hard time at the end of the school year, like what's going to happen when I leave? Mm. And at which point we say the relationship we have is between the Pulse program and the community partner agency. And you, because you were part of Pulse, were serving there, 
but the relationship is between these two inst institutions or mm -hmm. offices. Um, so I think students see that they can be part of something bigger than themselves and that they're not, it's not all on them mm -hmm. to try to figure out how to solve the world's problems. And at the same time, it's not not on them to try to think through what possible mm -hmm. solutions or possibilities might be to affect to affect change. So I think it's empowering, but not in an overwhelmingly frightening way that then puts the weight of the world. In fact, I think the opposite. Students come away saying, realizing how important it is to engage with other human beings to affect change. Mm. And I hear in a sense, like within that definition of community, like Pulse is almost like that step forward. And then also almost like a, a practice and stepping backwards too, and trusting that the work is going to continue after you. Like we yeah. just went through our That's first nice. year of like a, a social work internship. And we had taught, we talk about termination all the time and you don't realize how difficult it's going to be, especially as a volunteer, like an intern, because, or a, program that kind of forces termination up uh, termination as we yeah, speak clinically yep, right yep. like that's a whole other battle I feel like too because sometimes you're not always you want to give more but there is that institutional sense of okay now it's your time to step back yeah. at the same time and 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 trying to walk, walk through walk with students as they try to figure out how they're going to say goodbye yeah and not not a see you later or not a I'll be back right. but actually goodbye Thank you. Yeah. I wish you well. Yeah. I got chills. I know. <laughs> because the, I mean, I think, so um, there's a sense, right, culturally, I'm, I could be wrong talking in really wide paintbrush swaths here, mm. that we, I don't know how much people, I mean, you know, Putnam wrote about this, you know, the classic bowling alone, but mm. I don't know how much our students think of themselves as public persons, not government agents, like, mm. but as public persons who engage in these intermediate spaces between the private realm and the public realm. And that's the beauty of the community is it's, it's not your friend group, but it's also not your one of 300 million people in the, in the United States. It's your part of groups or, or groupings of people who work towards certain goods or ends mm. and, those things existed before you unless you created it and hopefully they will continue on after you if if there are enough other people who want to care about it as like you do yeah and i mean this is making me think about sort of our next question about this bridge between the big the the, the macro um so maybe those institutional levels that you're speaking about and then the small the individual the micro um I'm curious when, when everything that you, you've just sort of been talking about, how like these agencies will exist before they existed before you, they'll exist after you. Is that something that you, that you straight up say to students? Like, how are you sort of guiding students concretely through that understanding of the, the macro versus the micro? So Brian Stevenson and Jess Mercy talks about getting proximate. Mm. And I don't know if you were here in 2019 when he came. Well, yeah. Yeah, I was here. That was a great day. Um, but I mean, he's he's a human being who moves between the micro and the macro mm -hmm. all the time. But he didn't start out. He was he was just Brian Stevenson. He didn't start out as 
Brian Stevenson in all caps, right, on a marquee. He was someone who cared about something and committed his energy and his time and his intelligence to a particular issue. And it became bigger because of the attention he paid. So there's no, I mean, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any point in paying too much attention to huge macro if it's not where your own interests and heart are. And Mm -hmm. the thing, the, the issues will connect. You can't avoid macro questions. Hopefully you're not avoiding macro questions when you think about sort of micro issues, but, um, but I think if you think too macro, you're going to get lost in Mm -hmm. the big picture Mm -hmm. and really need to focus in on what are you good at? Oh, Father Himes, you know, what are you good at? What does the world need you to be? What brings you joy? That kind of thing. And hopefully that's how you affect, you'll affect change. No one wants unhappy people, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, Part of, I think part of the question too is, is like systems can be so dang challenging at times to work with also, um, which can lead to burnout, which can lead to the fatalism of like, I'm not even going to try anymore. So like, how do you offer hope to students too, at the same time of like, to keep going that eat, like whether it's within this class, but then beyond this class and then further. I I don't know in the Mm. sense that because a class is only nine months and then it ends, you don't necessarily, um, you're not there for a really long period of time. Yeah. I think one source of hope is to make a decision, right? Hope as a decision Mm. to allow a certain vision to be your North star, the thing that guides or pulls you Mm. regardless of whatever momentary up or down there might be. Um, I think our community partner supervisors play a really enormous role in informing students' imagination because they see people who have committed themselves to certain population groups and the challenges that they might experience and have committed their lives mm. to, to working with, with people. And I think, that, I think that's a source of hope. Um, and I think that our supervisors impact our students in very real ways. Yeah, it's like, role models yes. like Ryan Stevenson right. you Krista Tippett like yep. these might be role models that we never get to meet but the people in these our community partners they're like people we do get to meet and see that they're continuing to do, to do the work despite the challenge that's right yeah. that's right yeah so it's like carriers of community which <laughs> I keep right. coming back that's to, right but I just, no I they are that idea. that's right so thinking about everything we've talked today What are some things that you're hoping BC students take away from this conversation? So one of the things I talk about with, especially with the seniors on the Pulse Council, um, is how when you graduate, it's like getting thrown off a (laughs) merry-go-round. And because when you're at BC, you just walk down the hall or across the mod and your friends are right there and you have all these resources and all these people, and then you graduate and boom, you're on your own. Um. And one of the things I try to talk to them about is how important it is to find the things that they're interested in and seek out, purposefully seek out communities Mm. that will support the things that they're interested in. And to, and beyond, you know, um, after work kickball leagues, that is not, I mean, that has, (laughs) it's fun. I don't want to under, I don't want to undervalue that. 
But if there are certain values that you have, find communities that support those values. So you will meet people who will support you in the ways that you want to live and be in your life. Mm. And that that is an act of intentionality. It does not happen accidentally. You have, people have to seek these things out. So that's, that's what I hope is there's a sense that once you graduate, you are responsible at this point for your own sort of community belonging. Yeah. And being thrown off that gosh darn Mary <laughs> is a scary thing. Yeah, let me is. tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that's beautiful because there's still a reminder of that agency that you're trying to help people see through this class. Reminder of responsibility of like, you know what you're interested in, follow it and do good with it. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Yeah. And your work, your work colleagues or whatever you end up doing are colleagues. They don't have, they can serve that role of mm-hmm. colleague in that way, but they don't have to be your best friend. Sure. And it's important to maybe create spaces in which you can move um, among them so that you have some freedom to also continue to grow. I think that's a great last <laughs> incredible conversation. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for Thank having you. me. This was really, this is, this is okay. <laughs> <laughs> not as scary as you thought. Right. Definitely not. Oh, that's good.